Well, it was all that I could do to keep from crying. Well, you know who, who had his ashes uh, spread at home plate? The dude that did the Co- Go Cubs Go song. Yeah, Wasn't it Goodman? Steve Goodman? Yeah, Steve Goodman. You know what else he wrote? He wrote the perfect country and western song, and then he sent it to either Waylon Jennings or one of those guys. Well, a friend of mine named Steve Goodman wrote that song, and he told me it was the perfect country and western song. They read it, and they said, this is almost perfect, but you didn't mention anything about mama or prison. (laughs) Because he hadn't said anything at all about mama or train. Or trains. Or pickup trucks. Or trucks. So then Goodwin allegedly wrote the next verse, which was, It was raining the day my mama got out of prison. (laughs) (laughs) The day my mom got out of prison. And I went to pick her up. Lord Oakbank, Saxon Jackson. Tomorrow, Andrew on the board, SP Futures. Unchanged, unchanged after the huge rally of State Nasdaq futures down 10. So they're giving back a little bit, but not very much since they were up a boatload yesterday. We had a thousand point turnaround on the Dow. Uh, right now, the Dow futures are down 55, but uh, actually, everything in the uh, Dow is a little bit red here, but the futures uh, at Salesforce down uh, 11 bucks. They had earnings yesterday. Uh, they're trading 149.12 as they showed some, said there were some headwinds, which there are, but. Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound horrible. I mean, but it's the only one that's down in the appreciably in the, in the uh, down. We have Mr. Lou. Good morning, sir. How are you, buddy? I am a new car owner. Um, hundred grand? <laughs> no, new. I went. Uh, I went with something slightly more pedestrian. Uh, did you get a pick me up, or did you get a, a four wheel drive big, uh, like an old brand? No, I got a. I got a. Uh, Telluride, which is a all-wheel drive, six-cylinder, mid-sized SUV, but whose one of whose main selling points is that Kia crams a ton of technology into you know a reasonably priced, well, not you know, not horribly expensive package. Um, Kias are popular. Is this going to be one that? That gets stolen like every month because they can hack into your uh, the Kia and the Hyundai. They've had like two thousand of them stolen in Chicago last month, and like thirty thousand nationwide because somebody published on Twitter or one of those things. Uh, might not have been Twitter. A way you can hack in with your cell phone and other people's cars or some something like that. Did you read that? Um, as I understand that the this this was true of the models up till twenty twenty two. You could you could get into the thing with a USB cable or a USB attachment and like a screwdriver or something if you could get to the if you could get to the console. Ah. Um, I don't know. I didn't see the video. I was aware of it. Um, they now have incorporated the uh, more standard uh, engine disabling features that you find on most other modern cars. Not the push button starts it, so it. If the, if the the presence if the, if the car does not detect the presence of either uh, one of their specialized digital keys or the the actual key fob, then uh, the engine doesn't start. Uh, my my uh, buddy from the Board of Trade, Board of Trade from the Federal Reserve, 
I actually got his Kia, I think Sportage, the kind of boxy looking thing from uh, Audrey's cousin, the late Audrey's cousin, unfortunately. And he loves it. Uh, he asked Daddy to look, find one for him. I don't know where the hell he got it, but he found it from someplace. And uh, uh, he bought it used, but it was very, you know, it might have come off lease or something, but he actually loves the thing. So he might have good luck well, with this. I'm still, I'm still playing with, uh, with the features, but I, I mean, it really is the kind of I, I, I have been driving an Acura MDX for almost 18 years. Um, I bought the car as a 2004 model, and um, it's finally it's finally going over to a deserve address. But uh, the features on this car, this new car, are so advanced that it makes the Acura, which you know, is, it was an upscale upscale car. It it makes the the Acura look. Uh, you know, like, like it's from another another century, which you might it almost to, was. Well, you might have to move to a different spot in the room where you're, you're coming in and out. Huh, okay. Let me, uh, let me try something. All right. The, anyway. Uh, I have a, a couple of questions for you, but we have a lot of questions on everything. One, we'll talk about the Fed in a bit, but uh, this uh, one of my uh, uh, buddies was on uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, he's, uh, he's also a uh, well, he's, he was a captain in the army. He was in intelligence for a while, and said one of these days, if he wanted, to, he came out about soccer yesterday because he lived in Germany. He got into soccer pretty much, but he was talking. About, he said if you want to talk about what's going on in Ukraine, but I, I have questions for. Him. I was reading some article last week regarding uh, how many how many shells <laughs> both sides have used over there, artillery shells and, and and rockets and all kinds of stuff, and how they've blown through, like, you know, 60,000 and we and we get, like, 1,500 a month delivered or something. Who who exactly, I mean, what, what in the bowels of government, who decides, okay, we've got 1,000 tanks, we need 20,000 tank shells or 30,000 or 40,000 or where the hell do we put the darn things and, and how quickly can we get more if we need them? I mean, how does all that logistics take place? Who decides how many of these things you need and where they're going to, where you store them and I mean, uh, and have we decided we ordered more since these guys are using a lot of the stuff we're giving them? I and mean, how does that all even play out? Well, first of all, you and I talked about this maybe four months ago when I told you that the Russian military was using the functional equivalent of our entire production of artillery shells in a year they were using in less than three weeks. So, so that is a the, the, the assessment of how much stuff is being used up is is accurate. Um, I also mentioned the fact that our production facilities and our industrial base for producing this kind of stuff had had really eroded to the extent that we could not quickly replace the kind of losses in equipment and and munitions. That we're seeing in just a, you know, not even a high intensity, you know, conflict of, you know, multiple nations, just a, a regional war. But but it, it's chewing through resources. You know, it's chewing through drones. I mean, I mean, even like even something as mundane as a quadcopter or quadcopter drone. They're they're just they're just eating these things up. You know, and, and the shells are are part of it. Uh, rounds for, for uh, weapons, weapons themselves, the actual small arms weapons themselves. Um, are There are reports now that our 177 howitzers 
the, the 155 millimeter howitzers that we've been we've been shipping to uh, to Ukraine, and, and I don't I don't know if these are surplus ones from us or these are things that our allies have had. So I'm not clear exactly on how they how well they've been maintained, but but those howitzers are starting to are starting to break down because they're being fired continuously. Um, even our our HIMARS our HIMARS system, which uses a, a specialized kind of of munition, um, we're we're starting to eat into our stocks of this stuff, and it's it's dangerous because there are other actors in the international you know international scene that look at what's happening and realize that you know the United States, for example, has used up stocks of its man pad, the Stinger uh, anti aircraft system, have used up stocks of its of its Stingers. And, and they're not they're not making them. You know, we don't have we don't have the manufacturing capability for. And and so that's our status right now. And I, we talked about this several months ago. So so who's who's responsible for this? You know, the famous the famous question. Um, step funded through the National Defense Authorization Act. The services prepare a budget listing <clears throat> uh, every year. Or every time one of these things gets enacted, and and each each entity within the within the armed forces, I, I've been involved in this process when I was when I was on active duty and in the reserves. Uh, each entity puts in a budget number, and then somebody in the in the service senior service branch at the top echelons of the army or the air force or the navy um, go through and and try to balance it all out. Obviously, you have, you know, this This is a, a very much, a, you know, whose rice bowl is being affected here kind of process. It's a zero-sum game. Every dollar you take uh, away from procuring things like howitzer shells, uh, it goes to, you know, buying a new toy, like, like you know, the Army's hypersonic missile program. Uh, every dollar that goes into that program takes a dollar away from somewhere else. And, and as you might guess, the sexy, new, hot, you know, hot person on the, on the block is going to get more attention and more funding than the more mundane, you know, kind of run of the mill, you know, bullets and bombs that, uh, that, that are, are fundamental to, to being able to, uh, to fight. Well, is there a? So, is so, there so I just to give you an example. The army, the army is pursuing, for some reason, a ground launch hypersonic missile. You're still, you're still breaking up. You got to move someplace. You need a landline. You need a landline, Lou. Yeah, I do, but I'm not going to pay for it. Um, <clears throat> how's is this any better? I don't know bit. why you guys have problems, but is this any better? A little bit. I mean, uh, well, you because you the uh, whenever when you have a any kind of a cell phone, and when when we first started the show. You couldn't even get anybody on a cell phone because you, it's it's it'll sound all right if you're talking to somebody. If it goes to another piece of piece of electronics, it backs off. It's like even people who have a, a landline walk around with the, with the walk around phone and think it's the same thing. It's not. I mean, <laughs> there's only one real phone. And it's the one that's hooked right to the wall. Unfortunately. Let, let, let's try this. How's it's it? better. Any it's better? better. Yes. Well, is there a? I guess my question is if if is it a procurement thing or is it a inventory thing i guess for i mean i used to do a little bit of this and study anyway in other words if 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 we decide is is it 
we're gonna we're gonna buy two thousand stingers this year. Okay, is is that well, we're not we're not buying so let's strike that we're not buying stingers at all anymore. Okay, but, but that's the only one you that's the, the name I remember. Let, let's say let's say let's say howitzer shells. All right, we're gonna buy ten thousand howitzer shells this year to bring us up to a level of fifty, which we think our level should be. Well, if all of a sudden a phone call comes from the White House, hey, ship twenty thousand to Ukraine, does that automatically? Uh, generate an order to buy the twenty thousand back or not? No, not necessarily. Well, why the hell not? I guess is the question. Um, well, it, I, I mean, it, if somebody's paying attention, it, it might. Um, if the contract allows for that kind of surge uh, replacement pricing, we might be able to do it. Alternatively, if the contract says you're committed to providing us with, you know, two thousand shells a, a month. Um, and we we when we go in there and demand you know fifteen thousand shells, the the manufacturer can say yeah you didn't write this into the contract so I'm not obligated to produce it we'll do the best we can. Well, that's, that's the truth. I know that from working at you know so, railroad. So, so this you know <clears throat> these kinds of these kinds of losses and 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 I've been saying this since you asked me for my investment advice in 2014. These kinds of losses have to be replaced. We are not. We are not in a position right now where we can, you know, we're we're not looking at a Cold War dividend here. We're, we're looking at a at a reignited Cold War involving two peer adversaries, one of whom has is is richer than Croesus and has been spending uh, to build up its its navy and its army and its air force with as much advanced weaponry as they can as they can buy and produce. Much of it, if not all of it, stolen from us or our allies. Um, the other entity is when I, it may not be a peer in terms of ability of putting its its troops into the field, but which has technologically advanced weapons that are absolutely the equal of, of ours. They don't have very many of them, but what they've got is is you know is, is performing. Just to give you an example. The, the Russians are shooting down uh, Ukrainian aircraft at ranges in excess of 100 miles. We we don't we don't have anything that can do that, and and we're trying to play catch up right now. But the expenditure of our munitions uh, is is a is a, a real issue, and you know maybe this war is is a wake up is the wake up call that the West needs. In terms of if you've got a fight, and and there's no reason to think you won't have to fight. If you've got a fight, you, whatever you've got in your inventory now is almost certainly not enough to sustain a conflict for more than two or three weeks at at current intensity levels. And and remember, chief, the the guys the guys fighting over there right now are not using a tremendous number of precision-guided munitions on either side. The Ukrainians are using as many as we can get them. But in a, in, a full out, in a full-out conflict, those precision munitions would be everywhere. Well, that's why when you read, when you read about... And they, would, they would eat up equipment like that. Well, that's why, you know, I, when you look at some of the... Uh, and I'm not going to be, you know, a battleship captain and say, you know, we should have a battleship anymore. Uh, we have they're all museums, but I read once that the uh, 
you know, they were considered almost laughable by people in terms of uh, being able to shell stuff and things like that. And then I was reading about how the uh, if if you you know, of course, you got to be near the shore, but uh, if you had a uh, the, a plane puts, you know, how how much each individual rocket costs and how many 20 planes can deliver on a place versus a battleship with nine guns how much you know of course the thing's huge you got a bunch of people on it uh how much you can deliver in terms of ordnance versus the planes and it's like 10 times as much and it's, it's like one one hundredth the cost I mean, I mean some of this old stuff i mean when you say there i guess i don't I don't. How did Russia get all this crap? Because wasn't there some story about how an entire area in Russia they they screwed up because all they did was made artillery shells. They got a gazillion of them from what was it under Khrushchev's watch or who? That, how many how many artillery shells they made? I heard something about they, they're using like forty thousand a month, and we and we get fifteen hundred a month delivered or something. Yes, no, that's I mean that's accurate. Well, they've stockpiled. They're they're firing stuff from Korean War vintage. They don't. They don't come up. The, the Soviets did not throw anything away. They they had they had mothballed uh, tanks that were in storage uh, from from Korea. T fifty fives, you know, I mean, really really old systems. And and you're seeing a lot of that really old stuff being rolled out in Ukraine right now. Um, so so, I mean, it's one of the reasons why the javelin is so effective is because it's shooting it. It's shooting at tanks that were, you know, designed 30, 40 years ago, and and that don't have the kind of survivability against that particular system. Uh, but they're but the Russians' modern tanks, um, you know, very likely do. But but the point the point that I would make with the with the, the Russian armaments though is that there is not um, they don't have a lot of that stuff. It's like they've got an they've got a stealth fighter. I, I put that in quotation marks. It's called the Fell and the Su fifty seven. It's it's fairly advanced. It it probably a little bit less capable than the F twenty two, RF twenty two, but they only have eight of them. You well, know, how many F twenty twos do we have? Twenty. No, we've got one hundred and seventy, I think, before the production line was stopped. And we've got we've got like five hundred F thirty fives, which okay. is you know the next generation. Um, the, the the my my point is that the Russians are making a lot of stuff. That's that's very high end. Their, their hypersonic missile capabilities are very impressive, but but you know, bottom line is they can't they can't afford to buy it. The battleships that you're talking about are much more effective as cruise missile carriers than they are as gunships. Well, right, right. I, I mean, I and, was, and, and, and so and so that was the you know, ret- but retrofitting those things is not is not easy. And and this brings me to another technological development and, and another thing that I would think you, you all should be looking at for investment purposes, which which are these munitions, these these we're, we're rolling out now that are are fundamentally changing the nature of how we deliver you know, deliver bombs to a to a target. So the Air Force now has demonstrated several times the capability of dropping a pallet of 25 or, or excuse me, 16 or 32 uh, smart weapons out of the back of a transport and having that thing, having those things come down by pallet and as they're falling, the pallet releases them and suddenly, you know, each, each cargo aircraft has now delivered 32, you know, 
super accurate, super smart, stealthy cruise missiles that are now going to fly off on the road to go attack someplace. And, and you know, it does. it's not a bomber. You don't have to build a, a bomber to do the same thing. And, and the development of this fundamentally changes the nature of the equation if you're a bad guy. Because you know how many bombers we've got. And it ain't, it ain't nearly the number of, of transports that we have. And now these transports can become very effective at delivery mechanisms. Yeah, but really, no wants to fly a transport as <laughs> a bomber. How can the thing even be able to move? <clears throat> I mean, how does it protect itself? It doesn't. It, 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 it flies. The, these missiles have a range of 600 miles. Oh, okay. So you're flying. You fly within. You get within, you know, 500, 600 miles, or uh, I'm sorry, 300 miles of the battle area. And I mean, admittedly, you could be you could be targeted, you're, but you're going to be targeted anyway. Um, and and you release these things, and they they go fly off on their own, and you're not responsible for targeting them. You don't have to fly anywhere near the target. Well, that's what uh, the the, uh, the core stuff that people send me. I'm in the military thing, trying to learn something so I can be one tenth of Lou one of these days. And they're talking about you know how vulnerable is a B fifty two, and the guy goes, it's not really vulnerable at all because all the stuff it does now is not even near the it's not even near the you don't, you're not you're not over a target bombing anymore. You're you're miles away. Yeah, the the the, the B-52 is now considered exclusively a standoff weapon. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Uh, as no. far as bombers go, no. We are unveiling our latest stealth bomber. Really? It's going to replace the B-2. It's called the B-21 Raider. Uh, it's going to get rolled out tomorrow. I think it's very interesting that we're doing this. Uh, it's obviously a message to China to say, you know, hey, we're pretty scary. But it's a stealth bomber. It can be flown manned or unmanned. Um, it It is, a, you know, got all the bells and whistles for a, a, a basically a, to make it as hard to detect as possible. And uh, it's it's rolling out. We're going to start producing these things. What's, the, what's they, the payload on this stuff? I don't know. Uh, all that stuff is classified. I have no idea. Uh, they may publish some data on it. Tomorrow, and when you take a look at the airframe, you may, be, you know, you may get an idea. But the the you know our our, um, our technology now is moving to a situation or moving to a circumstance where we will be able to guarantee the destruction of the target because the sensors that you know are used to direct weapons like radar and lasers and major wave guidance and things like this, the sensors that detect these things are not going to be capable of, of healing with them. And we've moved, we've moved in one direction while the Chinese and the Russians are moving in another. The Chinese and Russians are moving toward hypersonic technology and high-speed high speed approaches. Um, we, are, we are focused more on stealth and a much slower kind of, of weapon that, that flies in and is, is very hard to detect and, and very hard to target more, you know. And, and so we'll see, how, we'll see how that rolls out. Um, right now... You know, the ability of the, of the Russians to kill targets over 100 miles away with a missile going Mach 4 or Mach 5 is, is very impressive. And, and you know, the question is whether we'll, we'll come up with a We're supposed to be rolling out a new, rolling out a new air-to-air missile, um, and I can see AIM-260, uh, I think in January, to start to deploy that thing. Wasn't, wasn't laser technology supposed to intercept some of these things? It doesn't? Well, the Navy, the Navy is actually starting to field laser systems. And, and yes, we have we have lasers that are now capable, battlefield lasers that are now capable of doing some interception on this stuff. Um, but, you know, the deal with a laser still is power. 
you know, it, its power diffuses greatly in the atmosphere, and and it takes up it takes a lot of it takes a lot of megawatts or a lot of joules to keep a to keep a laser pointed on the target for long, you know long enough to to actually do damage. The Israelis have also, with our help, developed a laser system that they say is, is ready for um, is ready for deployment. And that thing, if it if, if what it can do is true, or what it purportedly can do is true, uh, you will have a you will have a, a, the ability to basically shoot down artillery shells, um, you know, cruise missiles, drones, uh, stealthy you know items, things like that. Within a range of you know four to five kilometers of the of wow. the system that's being deployed, which is pretty good. Well, the uh, this thing, boy, does it remind me? I don't know how many listeners even remember? Well, I don't remember. I wasn't here, but uh, <clears throat> is this so much like the Spanish Civil War, where everybody's testing out all their new gadgets? Um, not so much new stuff. I think is being tested. A lot of stuff that we weren't really sure how well it would work is being tested, and and we're seeing that right now. And with you know HIMARS and and something called the Excalibur, which is a, a brilliant artillery shell, um, and and some other some other weapon systems that we're you know we're rolling out. Um, what I mean for the Russians that you really see is the effectiveness of their command and control system and their organizational system, which is not great. And maybe this is the wake up call. Maybe this will result in a. You know, but whatever happens to, to Putin, at the end of the day, the Russian military is going to be reassessing its entire structure and organizational philosophy as a result of the failures. In, uh, well, I mean, the failures I think have a lot to do with have a lot to do with fraud. But well, I, when we come back yeah. from break, I want before we get off this topic, I want to I've been reading about this one area now where it's they're almost like a World War One trench thing. If you want to talk about that a hair when we come back, and then we'll get onto what the Fed's doing on some of the stuff here. I, I read an article about this Hakeem Jeffries guy, the guy who just got Nancy Pelosi's spot. Yes. I tell you what, <laughs> I was reading his background. Chicago, this is, boy, the, the politics is just as bare-knuckle in New York as it is here. That, <laughs> that yeah. guy's early life running for state state representative. God, it was almost like fights on the stage and stuff. It was crazy. S&P Futures unchanged, and S&P Futures down 11. You're right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. 
A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom on the board. S&P futures up to now. NASA futures down four, so I don't think we're going to be going down here. I think the, the all clear that the Fed guy gave yesterday uh, It's probably going to last for a while. I, mean, I don't know if he should have done what he did, but he did. The DAX up 110.8%, FTSE up 7 Not much there. Call that flat. Kick around up 11.2%. Renasia, we've got Nikkei up 256. That's 0.9%. We've got Shanghai up 14.4%. Hang Seng up again, 139.7%. So they've come up 4,000 points from a 14.5 low. So that's got to be pushing 26, 28% somewhere. That's, boy, that's a lot. Uh, yesterday, uh, after being down 250, the Dow was up 737. So a 1,000-point turnaround, thanks to Jay Powell. 2.2%, S&P up 122, 3%. NASDAQ up 44, 4.4%. As every big stock, Apple, NVIDIA, you name it, was up like 4 or 5%, just to the moon, Alice. Uh, crazy stuff. Uh, bonds, down 11 basis points, 3.58. Uh, Bun, minus 14, 1.80. Japan, uh, 0.25, unchanged. Imagine that. Oil up 98 cents, 81.53. Brent up 92 cents, 87.89. Natural gas up a dime, 7.03. Our Bob uh, unchanged at 239. We've got gold up again, 35 bucks, 17.95. As the dollar is getting hammered, uh, silver up 53 cents, 22.32. I'm long both of those for my clients, so uh, that's good. Um, so actually, uh, yes, that was a pretty good day for the for the good kids. Uh, crypto, uh, Bitcoin's up 74 four bucks at 17,131. So everybody's kind of in the 
basking in the light of this thing here. We'll, we'll see how far it goes. The dollar, like I said, we're up to, uh, the British pound is up to one, 121 from being a low of uh, one, 104. And the uh, U.S. and the uh, the Europe the uh, euro is one almost up to 105 from being down to 9.97. So we're talking about a seven percent move in a in a currency over a over a three month period or two month period is almost unheard of yet. This is the kind of this is this is what we're what we're sowing from what we're seeding here, reaping or whatever the hell, whatever the saying is. Andrew, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. All right, it is uh, 6:36 here in Chicago on Thursday, December 1st. Over in sports, in the NFL tonight, the Bills play the Patriots at 7:15. And over in the NHL, uh, last night the Chicago Blackhawks lost to the Oilers, ending the game 5-4. And the Bulls, Chicago Bulls, also lost last night, playing against the Suns, ending the game at 132 against 113. Now for Chicago weather, it is cold, emphasis on cold but also clear today. Currently at 18 degrees, and we're going to be going up to about a high of 37 around 4 p.m. Uh, but over in Phoenix, we're currently clear at 46 degrees with a high of 73. Now finally for Chicago traffic, it seems to be a pretty boring day today, but I'll take that as a good thing. Uh, no major accidents on the expressways. Uh, however, traffic is building, particularly on the Jane Adams and the Stevenson. But that's all I got. Are you, are you close to behavior? your... Angelica moment when you give the Hawks score and say all they do is lose, who cares? <laughs> Almost, yeah, yeah. It's a God, they're awful. They're absolutely yeah. <laughs> awful. We, uh, Lou, how are you? And, and the Bulls have the Ole defense. They can score, but they got the Ole. It's like watching, it's like watching the uh, playground, for God's sake. Just saying. How's that for a comment, Lou? <laughs> um, is my reception any better? I've yes. changed rooms. Yes, much better, actually. Hey, is okay. there any truth to the rumor? I ran into a a guy last night. I was uh, meeting with a couple of my attorney dudes, and uh, the uh, actually one one of the guys. He's a uh, you know he's an older gentleman, but a terrific guy and a great. Uh, you you love Lou. You love you'd love to meet the guy. Big athlete kind of guy. And anyway, he uh, was telling me that the Illinois criminal code was it was it code thirty eight or something or thirty four. He was telling me used to be about maybe a half an inch thick. And he had the, he had the entire thing memorized. He goes, now you can't even carry the damn thing, and you got to just keep piling through to find out about anything because it's so unclear you can't even read it. Um, is that is that true? I mean, uh, is, that, is that what's well, happening? Yeah, absolutely. Because because as we as we expand the reach of what is legal and illegal, you you have to have corresponding. Um, you have to have corresponding legislation that deals with all the exceptions that you want to write in. Um, there's there's a great book out. It's about probably about ten years old now, called Three Felonies a Day, and it it tells or describes essentially the, the the fact that most Americans are committing under federal law. Most Americans are committing three fed, three felonies a day, whether it's by disposing of you know batteries improperly or you know not not a lot of them are environmental, yet <laughs> not uh, handling their financial transactions exactly correctly or whatever. Um, but but yeah, that, that that's exactly right. And it it the discretion on how to prosecute this stuff is is what uh, creates a lot of problems for people. You know, whether the Department of Justice or, or your local uh, state's attorney decides that you're in the crosshairs, they then look around and and say, okay. 
what has this guy been doing? What has Tom Howe been doing for the last six months? Oh, he threw batteries away. Well, we can prosecute him for that. Never mind that your entire neighborhood is throwing batteries away. You've come into their crosshairs, and so and so they'll, they'll try to hang you with that. Well, um, his tax return wasn't precisely correct, so uh, so we'll we'll accuse him of uh, a bone of uh, willfully evading taxes. Um, his uh, you know his car has some you know some feature on it that that's problematic. Never mind that it's in common use. So we'll charge him with that. This is this is the way our our modern prosecute, uh, prosecutorial state works, and it's it's a nightmare. Well, I have a. I mean, I, I'm try to be. I mean, I'm certainly not the uh, the most the most competent at this, but I try and be a little bit of a uh, source of economic history because that's fortunately or unfortunately it's how I was trained. And uh, now, but I, I imagine you know an awful lot more about legal history. Once this this slippery slope downhill begins, is there ever anything coming back? Is there ever is there ever been a state or a county? Well, a county doesn't do laws, or a municipality or a <coughs> Or a federal government anywhere that says, you know, screw this. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take this entire code and we're gonna go over it, and by the end of the next year, we're gonna come out with a, a you know, a, a streamlined thing and get out all the stuff that's no good. Is that like ever happened? Does anybody have the the uh, impetus or the time ever to do something like that? Is there any re- repairs to this stuff or no? It it's almost impossible for. Um States to, to you know take laws off the book with books without and, and the reason I say it's almost impossible it's not it's not legally impossible it's just politically nobody nobody wants to nobody wants to do this but but so, what you you saw being written into laws back in the seventies and eighties were so called sunshine provisions or sunset provisions excuse me uh, that that said this statute's going to remain in effect for X and and then and then it's going to disappear. Um, because we, if we can't solve a problem by then, we're not, we don't want this thing on the books. You're, you're seeing an example of this in this lat, one of these, these, uh, recent Supreme Court arguments over affirmative action. You know, when, when the last time this came up before the court, and what was it, 2002, maybe, um, you had one of the justices, I think it was O'Connor, say, look, Affirmative action is basically state-sanctioned racism. We understand that. It's necessary to try to make up for what happened in the past. We understand that, too. But it shouldn't last for much more than 25 more years. And and so you see the Supreme Court on this last round of oral arguments come in and say, why should we extend these affirmative action preference rules? Uh, why should we allow universities and other places to do this? Um, because we're, we're basically, you know, as we said, allowing entities to, to uh, you know, select people, hire people, matriculate people based on their, based on their racial status, and that's wrong. And the, the uproar that, that developed as, as the Supreme Court basically said, look, this needs to be sunset, uh, was, was, you know, huge. So, so the short answer is for a lot of politicians, yeah, we'll, we, laws in place, they give people jobs, you know, you have to have a bureaucracy established to, to, make them, to make them work, they give people jobs, and as long as we're not hurting anybody, there's not some giant uproar, we'll just, we'll just leave them on the books. So, the, the, the long-winded answer for saying, it, it, 
theoretically it's possible to revoke a bunch of this stuff the political will to do so is is usually not there because when you come in and say i'm going to revoke this statute which doesn't seem to be working you have a whole host of people who will rise up and it's they're noisy and they get attention who, who will rise up and say well wait a minute we rely on that statute for our life you know our lifestyle we're we're the bureaucrats that enforce it we're the niche population that benefits directly from it you know if you do this people will die think of the children you know those are the arguments that you that you get and and it takes takes a real act of courage or a sunset provision to typically remove something like this well in regards to the uh some of the little stuff like the batteries it almost brings you down to how much is is the the people who make the laws it's going to sound stupid going to help you out i mean in in ogden dunes there's only one way in it's a little beach community we have a house there we still have some friends there when you drive out there's the there's the police station right uh, and a little church, but, it's, but there's one way in and one way out over the railroad tracks. Well, there's actually a big box there when you drive out that said, please deposit your old batteries. So there, I don't really have much of an issue <laughs> um, finding somebody 25 bucks who's too damn lazy who's driving by there anyway to drop them there and puts them in his garbage. But otherwise, I have no idea where to put <laughs> if I were to throw out a battery where, where I'm supposed to put it. I mean, it, there, there's, there, there might be a law in the books, but there's absolutely no easy way to... It's not like every block has a little... Uh, or every two blocks has a little uh, special garbage can in the alley for, for batteries and other stuff. I mean, you would think there would be if they cared about it. Um, well, I, I, I mean, yeah. So, but so, so look at that. Look at, you know, the the flush toilets that that are now, you know ineffective where where you know states and the feds mandated this is the kind of toilet that you've got to have here's how much water it can use and here's how it's going to flush um or shower heads you know there was a whole seinfeld episode on on the new york city's uh requirement for water um you know water restricting shower heads or water flow restricting shower heads and, and the idea that you had to go on the black market to buy shower heads, you know, this is real shady, you know, shady character out there selling the shower heads that would give you a, would give you a, an effective shower. This, the, the, the whole CFO, uh, light bulb issue, you know, that we mandated. Um, all of this, all of this gets, you know, you see around this, uh, as I said, an entire bureaucracy of people. That are that are required to monitor this and track it. Um, you, you remember the the Bureau of Indian Affairs joke? Oh, that that I that I told you a while back about the you know the guy, some congressman wants to see what actually goes on at the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, the BIA. So so he he goes over to the, the headquarters in Washington. You know, it's this huge room of, of people, you know, at desks, you know, processing stuff, and the screens are all up. And over in the corner, there's one guy in, in his desk, and he's just he's morose, and he's got tears streaming down his face, and he's he's hunched over his desk, and his shoulders are heaving, he's, he's he's distraught. And the congressman pulls the the, the guy aside, or the, the agency person aside, and said, "What what's wrong with that gentleman over there?" And uh, the, the 
official looks over there and goes, "Oh yeah, that's Stan. It's really, it's really sad. His his Indian died." Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean that that it, it, there's. I mean, it's probably an inappropriate joke, but we're not. None of us are here in woke, woke. But but that is a marker of a fairly clear marker for the kind of craziness that these regulatory schemes end up establishing. And um, it's again, every time you try to revoke something like this, every time you come in and say, "Okay, we don't need to regulate CFL light bulbs." The American consumer is capable of making this choice. You have a host of, you know, people surface who say, "Oh my God, no! The environment's going to be wrecked if you if you eliminate this requirement." Um, so so he, uh, Montgomery County, outside of Washington D.C., just put a, a an ordinance in place that says you cannot build a building um, anymore that uses natural gas for heating. That's insane. Well. But but California and Washington State have adopted similar requirements, and and so you have to have a bunch of people who are going to enforce that. Well, you but you but you, but you, a, but you need your, everybody in the world will tell you that having a gas furnace in your in your place at ninety percent efficiency is way better than burning gas ten miles away and running over wires. Uh, I'm I'm just telling you what what the rules are. This is this is something that that's gone into place, Chief. I was going to mention this. And and this because this, this hits right in your wheelhouse. Do you know that the Biden administration, two days before Thanksgiving, um, put a final rule in place that that says that fund managers now um, for for uh, under that are in funds that are controlled by ERISA are now green lighted to um, factor in um, environmental, social, and uh, governance issues. Into their uh, into their fund and investment decisions, and and if it results in a lower return, doing that results in a lower return for investors. It, it's not going to be a violation of federal of federal law or federal rules to to do that, and that they can do it without notice to the to the uh, to the retired. Uh, I wonder how that's going to work out in our in our. I wonder how it's going to work out in arbitration. Well, I, I mean. But the but the fund manager is going to say, "Look, the feds give me this specific thing. They said they want me to do this." It, I, I it's mean, insane. I, it, normally that would be an ERISA violation. You know, you would have a you would you would have a, a lawsuit generated against the fund manager against the employer for for deliberate mismanagement of funds if they came forward and said, "I'm going to invest in this." Solar but, 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 you, you always have you always have issues sort of like that. I mean, I, I mean, we've been doing this a long time. I, back in the, when, when it was still a subject, it probably still, it isn't really a subject, but I guess it maybe is some places. I was never comfortable putting people's money in uh, tobacco stacks because there were, there were nothing but lawsuits all over the damn place. And I, I just had a feeling that one of these days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put money, people's money in there and that's going to be the day that they got some they lost some huge case and they're all out of business, which of course never happened. But, and yet, but that's a completely that's a completely different standard, because you're looking at that saying the investment return on this is likely to be damaged, not because it's immoral to invest in cigarettes, but because they're getting their pants sued off. Well, but I mean, that was that was uh, that was part of it, and maybe it was just my excuse. I don't know, but I really didn't want to invest in there anyway. But that gave me an easy excuse, I guess. 
The fact is, they I did better a, than just about every other stock for ten years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have I have a a, a relative who who is a a fund was a, you know, involved in fund management, and, and she she went to work for you know she's she's very socially aware and and active and you know big environmental and climate change person. So she went to work for a fund that was supposedly catering its investments along these lines. So if you wanted to be a socially responsible investor, you would throw money at these people. And it it, it didn't work to, to put it nicely, it didn't work out. You know, it was it was a bit of a, a bit of a disaster. By the way, this is the reason I'm on Twitter. One of the great discussions that, that I read was this guy talking to his family at Thanksgiving. And he gets kicked out of the Thanksgiving dinner because he starts a, starts all these arguments. But he he uh, is being yelled at by his sister-in-law, who, whose name is Julie, but whom whom he calls Judy, just a inferior. Um, and, and he ends up saying, "Listen, I know I know you don't like the way I uh, I operate, but I'm, I'm not going to take advice from from somebody who you know is a gardener." And, and she looks at him and, and she goes, what are you talking about? He goes, you're in gardening. She goes, I'm a hedge fund manager. And he goes, yeah, right. Have fun chewing the box with so, oh, God. Hey, so I, I've, now, I've now decided that that's how I'm going to reference my friends who are involved in hedge funds. <laughs> anyway, a couple of, couple of questions. Uh, sporadic, but they're, but they're, they're, they're all loo. Uh, we had... Um, by, by the way, let me, let me just finish right. up real fast our discussion on the weapons stuff. Yeah, yeah. Short answer: we we have to, and I think we're getting we're we're realizing this. I mean, I mean, analysts have been saying this for a while. We have to reestablish our defense industrial base, and if that sounds like the military industrial complex, uh, it, it it probably is a vote for that. But we have to establish our defense reestablish our defense industrial base, so that we can, if necessary, maintain production sufficient to deal with this kind of high intensity conflict that, that we're looking at. Well, I just as a as a trade note, uh, I don't I everybody knows I do some uh, work for uh, other groups in my protective program, but one of the groups I do some work for is is the Nigerian family office. I mean I I think I've been forthright with that. And uh, they also have a, a long only group in there. Some guys that traded on the trading floor with me I've known forever. And those are people who don't really want to be hedged. But they want to buy, you know, the right stocks, which is always difficult. But uh, this year has been a rough time for that. Yesterday, none was standing. It's you know, uh, Dow is down, or I mean, uh, S and P is down twenty plus, and the the Nasdaq's been down pushing thirty. Although yesterday it came back, you know, five maybe. Uh, when the first day that they everybody, everybody invaded, or everybody, the Russians invaded Ukraine, these guys swung a bunch of their money to the defense industry, and I'm going to say. I don't and haven't looked lately. They're they're barely down. Well, I mean uh, they've done pretty well this year. Now, is anybody else going to be able to get in the business, or is it always going to be the same people? I mean, the, the, the ten or fifteen. I mean, you said there's no there's no more stingers. Well, what what are we going to do when we run out of stingers? Is there something after that? Is there a stinger too? I mean, I mean what what do we I mean? How do you how do you get? In? I mean, we have you know you mentioned a lot of the bureaucracy having people not doing anything, right? Well. I mean, simple stuff. I mean, everybody wants law enforcement. Well, I, one day I, I did a stupid study, and there's like a quarter million people in law enforcement. Well, hell, that's a, that's way too many. I mean, there's like 60,000 or 70,000 TSA people. I mean, these are, 
I'm going to use the term, they're non-productive people. Well, if you take all the people who work for government and, I mean, it, I mean if people behave themselves, you wouldn't need 70,000 people patting people down at airports. I mean, they, they could be doing something more, I'll say, more productive. It's not like they don't go to work and do something. I mean, this is not a personal shot at anybody. But well, we, okay, we have so, countless so people me, doing nothing. Let me, just, let me just say, okay, a couple of things. First of all, there are technologies that are emerging that, that are opening up. I mean, some of them, some of these smaller companies may get swallowed by the bigger ones. But, but in, in fields like metallurgy and 3D printing and um, uh, distributed energy systems, uh, there's a lot of high-end technology research being done by smaller entities that are producing very you know, good results and that, that might be out looking for investors. So, so the short answer is in those, in those areas like that, um, you, you have... You have cutting edge work being done by the non the non big guys. Now the non big guys might buy them up eventually, but but for right now, that kind of high risk stuff is is being done by a lot of smaller companies. There's, there's a bunch of them out here in, in Denver on the front range. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. That that are doing that are doing uh, metal technology that that's being used by NASA and and DOD and. A number of other very specialized entities that are they're developing specialized, specialized uh, uh, alloys and, and the ways of, of combining ceramic and, and metal, so that you you end up with a stronger, lighter structure. And that's just an example that one of the ones I know. There's a, a, a lot of directed energy research going on out here too. Really? So, so this kind of thing is this kind of thing is, is something that, that yeah, these, these are still investment opportunities and. And these these outfits are, are not quite startups; they just passed that phase. But but yeah, so so short answer is that kind of, of, of technological innovation is still being done at the at the smaller end of things. Um, um, finally, you might change totally topics here for a minute and a half. Um, my Irish got spanked by Southern Cal last week, and my buddy uh, Dave Murphy, who's been a coach out in California forever. Um, Pretty much warned us all in February. Be careful of these guys. They got a whole new team. They got this new coach, and he's living in a you know seven million dollar house or something. And uh, who knows how much he's making? And he, they got like nineteen new people. And uh, this guy's named uh, Dave Murphy. He, he was telling me that, there, and he rattled off a list from Johnny Majors on down, Bob Devaney, and all these other guys that were, were masters at getting people to get rid, get, getting rid of people who were on scholarship. Now it's only a it's a renewable one-year deal. We, I think we all know that. But so the, the, and he was actually giving me some stories on uh, on a phone because he didn't want to come on the air for some reason. Probably too early in California. But he uh, was talking about issues of like almost abuse getting guys to to leave a school. And I, I was asking you, has, has there ever been somebody who actually complained and said, "Look, I got a scholarship with these guys. They decided I wasn't big enough. And all they did was beat the crap out of me for the whole year." I mean, has there ever been any filing like that, or does everybody just take it like a man? Um, I think there has, maybe maybe a decade ago. I recall some athlete coming up and saying that, um, you know, I was I was singled out to be to be driven off the off the field for, for scholarship purposes or for scholarship room or to bring somebody on. Um, I seem to recall a lawsuit like that, but I can't I can't give you specifics. But yeah, I mean, this this as far as I could. As far as I know, this is fairly common practice in, in scholarship schools. We get a limited number of scholarships, 
You got somebody coming in who looks really good. You got somebody on the team who's not quite so good. You, you, so you got to get that kind of quit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, when you start seeing teams with with nineteen new people in one year, you, you, if you had any kind of an eye at the NCAA, if you actually cared, your eye, your eye would go up. Well, again, the NC2A has has washed its hands of this whole thing. They they basically, I think, have said, "Look, we got our pantsuit off. We lost at the Ninth Circuit. We lost at the Supreme Court. Fine. You want to treat these kids like like employees? Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what the NIL looks like. Let's open up the portal. You can, you can steal people as much as you want, and and we'll we'll watch the whole system start to start to shake, tremble, and crumble." As, as you know, something that we knew was going on for decades is now brought out into the open. That is making these kids basically professionals. And, well, the, the, uh, and, and let's see what college football looks well, like. Well, the, the transfer yeah. without sitting out has changed everything totally. Plus, oh, yeah. the idea of third-party payments that was never there before. Well, it was never there above board before, where you could actually right anyway. But, but that's but but you know, I mean, you saw we saw the we saw the inklings of this. Uh, with uh, what's his face? Was it Cam Newton who was at Auburn? Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. You know, coming from junior college, and and basically the, the payment, some payment was made to his father allegedly, and you know the NCAA said, yeah, well, since it wasn't really made to him, uh, we're not we're not going to consider it to be to be improper. Um, we, we we saw this with the North Carolina Graydon uh, scandal, where they set up a phony academic academic department to deal mostly with athletes to keep them eligible. And the NC2A said, "Yeah, really not our." What's well, happening? It's, happen- it's right. happening in high school. Uh, last night they were talking about some guy who he's like a sophomore. He's on his. He did two high schools and it's his second college or something. I mean, anyway, we'll talk about this more next week. I want to talk about the Ukraine stuff today. SP futures up five. days futures up ten. I have a feeling we'll be up today. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. 
Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, my base Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 7 now. NASDAQ Futures down 15. We were down a little earlier, but don't let that fool you. I think uh, Jay Powell has given a message to the world that uh, all is good. Dan, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Have you ever seen a uh, a speech and a bunch of crap that the guy did with the guy with the, the, the white beard that is totally useless? Um... Ever hear see such a difference between what the the written line was and the actual message? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, been what commenting it? on that a lot lately too. Just seeing seeing that seeing that too frequently. Hey, uh, here's here's my read on. I mean, uh, on of course everybody's talking about they don't take this as we're not going to be as as fighting on inflation as we're going to be. We're still going higher to longer. All this kind of crap. My message out of that was absolutely, and the market saw the same thing. I think. Um, we're going to cut from a 75 basis points to 50 in next week or two weeks, whatever it is. And then we're going to look at look at what happens. And by the way, don't expect anything more. <laughs> and it and I think everybody that that's the message I got. What did you get? Yeah, pretty 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 much the same. I mean, I think the just the fact that there was talk about um, some moderation in December. You know, I think when Powell mentioned that, um, that I think is really what excited the market yesterday. And you know and it, the thing is that people have to still realize that that doesn't mean they're stopping. They may be cutting to, to 50 and deciding to wait a little longer, or maybe doing two or 350 cuts going forward. And, and you know, that still is that's still an effort to do um, things to control inflation. But I think they know, I mean, what we know for sure is that the market likes that. Um, any kind of talk that's, you know, going to be, uh, less than 75 basis point hike in two weeks there, or less than two weeks there, um, is good news for the for the market, and especially as you can tell from the Nasdaq and the tech names yesterday, they they you know they they were running, and then I think they were up almost five percent for the yeah. for the day. So it's um, how that affects us on the bond side. Well, there's also been a lot of money even in the last week going into bonds, whether they be Treasuries, T bills. I mean, even the T bills that we've been buying. Have had a you know have performed well um, as the rates have come down. So anywhere that you've been on the on the U.S. Treasury curve, you've done well. But I will remind people that there are places on the Treasury bill curve that still look more attractive than others. There's a one month um, bill that re- that uh, matures on December 27th, and that's paying four percent. 
uh, a little over four percent we were getting them at the other day. Um, hard to beat that in your, you know, a good cash substitute. And the one year is still paying them about four seventy, uh, whereas the two year is down to about four thirty one, four thirty three. So there are places if you and there's still opportunity there. Um, it, you know, we talked before about the corporates. We still like ADT, uh, you know, the home security system. But we only like it if you can buy it higher than 5%. And with the June maturity, 5% is still fairly attractive for a company that's not going anywhere. And another one we've mentioned is uh, Buckeye, uh, which is a oil and pipeline. And also have a bond that matures, uh, 415s that mature on uh, July of 23. And if you can buy those over 5.5%, again, you're getting pickup. You're getting a decent pickup. Again, on a company that's going to be around, there's no default risk there. What's the uh, what's the symbol and on the company? BPL. 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 Buckeye um, Partners. It's a um, pipeline that basically um, supplies um, energy to the Northeast. Okay. From Houston, it's a Houston-based company. But these, I guess, what I'm saying is that there's still places to to get yield. Um, SEC, which is the real estate. You know the REIT. Um, if you can get them higher than six percent, uh, those bonds also mature um, in June. So we're just you know six or seven months away, and if you can get six percent, that that's locking in a pretty good rate. So there's, I wouldn't, I would not go down in credit quality here at this time because I'm not quite as confident as the equity market was yesterday. Um, even though credit spreads have narrowed, means there's been interest in the on the on the um, from people investing in corporate bonds, I don't think there's as much opportunity there on the higher end of the of the corporate spectrum. The lower end, you have to be careful. Um, I think you have to be you have to be very choosy. We did talk about uh, Pitney um, Pitney Bowes, which is the um, <clears throat> the there's bonds there as well. Sure. It's a year from March, so it's March of 2024, and that's a good old stable company, uh, double B rated, but uh, the bonds when we first started talking about them were in the 92 range, now they're in the 96, 97 range. I still would be a buyer in here. So there's, I guess what I'm saying is T-bills, corporates, and then a few of the, um, the other names that I think still make sense in here. We've been talking um, a lot about uh, self, S-E-L-F, um, public storagery, and it does. it is extremely volatile because it's a small uh, micro-cap company, but it is in a really good space um, and does produce a decent 6% um, return, so you're getting this income, this, the 6% income. I think one that I mentioned last week as well that I had a company I met with in the conference, and, and I'm going to see them here in Florida in person again um, next week. The company is Arrowmark Financial, and they have a closed-in fund with the ticker symbol B-A-N-X. And the, the Arrowmark Financial itself, as a money manager, based in Denver, really strong management team, um, they do closed-end funds. They focus on structured fixed-income products. Well, this particular fund focuses on on loans 
um, from regional banks. So it's um, at the regional bank level, and it's basically like like a REIT in the sense that it has a portfolio of um, loans, but these loans are actually commercial bank loans. I mean, I mean, yeah, commercial bank loans from a regional bank, and they're floating rate. So it's a, just a good story, I think, again, for diversification. If you want to have some exposure to the financial services sector, here's a way to pick up a 6% um, dividend. Not going to have a whole lot of liquidity, but we do. We haven't had any trouble buying them, and there's a, a bid on them. And yet it's a, you know, the sector of the financial or for the banking industry that I, I would tend to prefer, meaning the, the small regional banks as opposed to the, uh, the mega banks. So, yeah, it's a, um, you know, the, the market seems to change day to day, the volatility. You look what's happening in commodities, you know, oil especially, um, you know, going from 75 now to 82 just in, you know, over the last few days. Uh, 72 meaning the WTI crude, uh, 75 um, um, dollars a barrel to 82 barrels a dollar, um, dollars a barrel as of today. So that, that, Volatility is going to continue. I would not recommend that anybody use that volatility to make money. I would I would try to protect that volatility rather than investing with it. In, in because there's too many factors that are um, that are out there that are making um, you know the bit uh, still I believe has somewhat of a um, trend. So once the you know, we see what happens next or two in two weeks with the Fed. It's very likely that that um, we're going to revert back to some of that negative language, and it, it does get confusing, as I'm sure it is for many of the listeners to hear on one or to hear one minute everything was great. You know, we're past this. It's going to be a soft landing. I even think um, Powell used those words yesterday. Um, and here, on the other hand, you know, um, recession from a lot of people. Yeah, recession um, is coming. The other thing. Well, I mean, Dan, I think like uh, most individuals. I was just going to say, inflation. You can't tell individuals inflation isn't there. Um, all they have to do is go out to eat or go to a grocery store to know that that you know we still have inflation. Well, I think that the uh, well, two things. One is the message I got yesterday was absolutely. One of the most, I guess I'm reading more into this, but obviously I do this every morning, Dan, and I realize there's a big difference between what you think you say and what people hear uh, sometimes, unfortunately. Yes. And, and I think clearly yesterday, if you were, had your ears, ears to the ground and just didn't want to, matter of fact, I remember a guy last night and said he did, said just what he was supposed to say, said, said he was going to cut back on stuff, not throw us into a recession, and by the way, send the market back up. That's just what he's supposed to do in that job. I'm going, really? I, I think they are convinced. They're going to see some unemployment coming, increasing. They'll never have to raise again. And I, I don't, honestly, it's a pretty awful way to say it. I don't think they care about how this is really affecting 80% of the people. And, and you know what else, Dan? I don't know, in this day and age, if I was in that job, I, I'd, I almost would agree with the decision, but for a total other mess of reasons. I don't, I mean, you and I, I mean, we're not 25 anymore. Or learning in college when we were twenty, this is this is not the same world. I don't think these guys they, they could run they could run this inf- this interest rate to eighty percent, 
and your electric bill's not going to go down. Those guys are locked in like a tick on a dog. Your gas bill's not going to go down. The the hospital stay is not going to go from 10000 a night back to 2000 where it was 15 years ago. None of that stuff is going to change. You have these, these institutional inflationary spots that I'm going to say if I really, maybe with your help, went through tick by tick of people's basket, probably accounts for 60 to 70% of what people spend money on. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think for a second that they have the ability to deal with the concentration in hospitals, the, the concentration in oil. That, that, that's just there, and it's up, and it's not coming down. I mean, can you imagine what, what the economy would have to look like for Commonwealth Edison to be told to cut their rates 10%? Yeah, it's very very unlikely to happen. Um, there's a you know any any I think business that has a monopoly or that has a, you know um, maybe just a few competitors. Um, you know, I think of like Comcast, who I've had some trouble with recently trying to get um, you know service the other day, just having you know, all these hoops to jump through. Not only being told that there's been two two rate increases. Um, but that there's, you know, they're providing less service and paying more and charging more. I think at some point what happens is the consumer does find alternatives. You know, you do go to that, that theory of substitution. Um, but in the, in the meantime, prices are still going up. Yep. And maybe not as, they're not accelerating like they were before, but that does put a damper on, um, uh, you know, individual spending. We, I still believe, though, and I've said this many times, that that money that was the free money that came in, plus the corporate taxes being cut a few years ago, and just a very long, expansive, expansive period, um, have really helped um, put money and put money in savings, um, or provide you know a lot of liquidity in our system. Maybe too much liquidity, and that has not gone out yet. And that's clear when you look at. Things like you know, travel numbers and, and hotel stays, and look at luxury items that are still being purchased. So the people on the high end certainly haven't really um, been as greatly impacted. And I, this is going to continue. I see that changing, and I kind of agree with you in a sense that I'm not sure how much the Fed is going to help with that. It's just going to take a long time before it sinks into the system. Well, the money was the money was dispersed so un- unevenly. The, the regular yeah. schlub that got the $2,000 check and then the $1,200 check, he's blown through that like dinner through a goose, if that's yeah. all he got. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, if, you, if you're the restaurant owner that had your best year ever, got a quarter million dollar check and then sold the place, you're doing fine. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, have a, I have a very specific question one of the listeners. Um, we're seeing, I'm looking at the, the as of yesterday, the, the 10-year curve, and I think I'm looking at the one year's, Four point seven four or something, and the ten yeah. year is three point seven six. So we're talking about a point difference, uh, which you know I've seen a lot. Certainly in the eighties, it was a lot bigger. It was like four and five points. But um, is is there? I mean, uh, I suppose if, if I uh, you know we wouldn't get a because um, you know it's a sloppy to do this, but you know if I had a, a, a board of trade membership, I suppose I could. Uh, go over and, 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 and short the 10-year, I mean, buy the 10-year, and there's, I think there's a one-year to trades, there's a five-year, I know. I could short one and buy the other and work this spread, but is there any easy way or even a legitimate way for a retail person to play that? And my question is, I I uh, I looked at it, there's some stuff you can do. I mean, obviously, the 10-year, 
the TNX does trade as a as a as a under the TNX is the uh, 10 year and a TYX is a 30 year. So you could do that one. You could short one and buy the other, but they're pretty close. I don't think you want to do that. Uh, but I don't I don't know. There's a one year that trades. Do you somewhere on the, on the retail side on the security side? Yeah, I think I I, I think you can. Um, I think there is, and I think the spread would be. Uh, you know, it, it would be a. Um, we're going to be. By the way, we're going to be having a new um, uh, one year keep priced here within the next week. So, um, yeah, I think that you know, if you want to do try to do a trade where where you you know you can benefit on both sides. You really have to have a call on what's going to happen. I mean, my belief is that short rates are going higher. So based on that, you would you would probably want to um, sell the short. But long, if you have a net, you know, if you have even a slight negative view on the on the uh, economy, because that's going to be that flight to quality money that's coming in. However, it starts getting you know, and you get a decent there, and you have, so you have a lot to work with. You could do that. You could sort of start in and do that now. But the thing that I was going to say is that rates are moving all over the place so quickly. Yeah, yeah. So you would have to lock that spread in. And I think it's touched the basis points between twos, um, twos and tens, between ones and tens, certainly over 100 now. So, But you would have to really time it well to get that, to get that, you know, the most out of that spread. It's. It's in literally it's day to day, so you have you have to watch um, things are moving very very quickly. I think over, as we approach the next couple of weeks, we are going to see if the likelihood of fifty turns to a likelihood of seventy five, we're going to see a sharp rise in the short end. But that's really hard to predict. I mean that that one I would not want to you know that that you know without another side to it. If, if you had but if you're playing both sides of it, that would make sense. But I wouldn't just take the one side of, of of hoping that they're going to stick at fifty, and then being surprised with you know rates going higher. Well, you don't lose that much though on the short end. I mean, you're you don't lose that much in terms of you know the interest rate risk is minimal. Um, you just don't have as much to gain. Well, you ever uh, the question was is this pro shares ultra this pro shares stuff is that is that sloppy or I mean I, I think that this is not a wide enough spread. That if you if you miss it if you're trying to leg it you could screw yourself up and I mean it's not yeah. like that's my it's the same thing you've been saying actually yeah, I agree I agree totally yeah I, I think you can mess it up and you just have to be really careful because even if you would put in some sort of order I mean look at where things are the next day I mean it's an entirely yeah. different market I, I've never seen this much volatility in rates I've well, never seen the the curve moving this quickly well because the Fed and the Fed doesn't. I mean, realistically, I mean, I guess you know, all I do is criticize, but these are—we're talking about the same people. Eighteen months ago, that didn't see any inflation on the horizon. You and I talked about it every damn day. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, you know, and now all of a sudden, there, there's now there's all kinds of it. They caused it, but now it's over. And and the rest of I I, I I'm stunned. Amazon, one of my uh, guys I, w- I work with, sent me this thing yesterday. Amazon just went out ten years and got a rate not even a point over Treasury. And how? Why would you? Why would anybody do that? I mean, why, why would anybody think that the inflation over the next ten years is only going to be four percent or or, or or two or something? Where you're gonna where you're gonna give these guys money for ten years? Why would anybody even think of doing that? And yet they 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 were they sold it out hand over fist. I mean, I just I don't get it. I mean, I just I honestly don't. I mean, I, maybe it's maybe it's the years, but something. I just the, the thought of I can't imagine. I'm sitting there thinking, 
Would Dan ever put one of his clients ten years in an Amazon binder at four seventy? I think the answer would be no. No, definitely not. But from Amazon's point of view, you know, they're obviously viewing the fact that there's a good likelihood that we're going to see higher rates, which there is. Oh, yeah. You know, it hasn't. This isn't over with, and so from their point of view, it, it can make sense. Um, from an investor's point of view, I don't think so. I think there are better opportunities um, elsewhere. I would I would go even shorter and pick up more yield if you're going to buy for the income. Uh, but, you know, trying to make money in the bond market, like on a total return basis, is very difficult now. So as we've been doing and as I've been, I've, as I've been saying, let's focus on getting income and preserving capital because this is an income and capital preservation environment. And if you are in floating rate notes of any sort, you will benefit as rates go higher. Um, there is a there is an ETF called T-Bill, T-B-I-L, and it's um, basically trades on the it's basically the three months um, T-Bill. And what it does, what it allows, is a an investor who wants to purchase an equity, an ETF, and get exposure to what's happening with the ETF. And since those are floating rate, you benefit again as rates go higher. So. Um, yeah, income, you know, it's, it's for a bond guy right now, this is a great time because we do have income. I think it's going higher. I don't agree with this, you know, day-to-day talk about, about you know, um, somebody reported earnings and the earnings look looked good, so, you know, our whole downturn is over. I don't agree with that. My belief in, in the earnings that are coming out that are positive is that the top line is really winning because you've got much higher prices. So they're able to do that, and for those who have been able to manage cost side at any at any level at all, they've been able to benefit here. So some of it has been yes, there are people out there looking to hire, but there's also a lot of tech companies that are trimming costs, but yet they're raising prices. Oh yeah, think of without a, a doubt, like Netflix or, or a company like Apple. You know, um, I don't know what's going on with Apple now with the the Chinese or under lockdown or whatever, I, that's like another whole story. But just think of these companies that affect the average consumer, and the consumer's looking and seeing the price going up, price going up, and then the company will report strong earnings because they've managed to lay off some staff and cut some of their costs. So they look like, when their earnings come out, they look like heroes. But you really got to look under the hood. you got to really look at um, how much impact, you know, the inflation or how they've inflated their prices and services has impacted that, you know, bottom line. And I'd say there's a good amount of that going on right now. Oh, well, so. yeah. I mean, I think the price, some of the, I mean, the, the prices obviously are keeping going up in a lot. of certainly in contracting and anything to do with housing and, I mean, anything to do with any kind of materials like that. I, I mean, we're, 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 of course, got ourselves knuckleheaded into the idea that if your gas prices goes down, you're okay. You know, but, you know, come on. It's, it's not, not not at all. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Not all the case. And watch your gas prices, too, because they've gone down a few yeah. few cents over the last week. But then over the last few days, we've had a run-up, so you're likely to see that those prices go back well, up plus again. We have so you this have to be very careful to to try to play. I mean, I you know, being a value manager, I tend to like to buy things when they're on sale, so that might be some of the philosophy. But I will say that... Um, what we're noticing, and what I'm noticing, just sort of from my from my uh, small little world here, in terms of getting out and a consumer, is that some companies have been able to keep prices down, relatively speaking. But now they don't have a choice. Now they're having to deal with, high, especially on the food side, they're having to deal with higher food prices. 
there is no way that they can't charge more, um, that they can stay in business and charge the lower rate, the, the lower prices they've been charging. So it seems like it's really impacting, it's continuing to impact even your, your you know, local restaurant, your local bar, um, your local um, grocery store, any place that you go for food, they don't have a choice at this point. So they've held off for a while, they've thrown costs, but now they're catching up. So well, there's, yes, there's people, I think there's, we're going to see more inflation. I think it's going to gonna continue to be more pressures. Uh, well, if you go to, and if you and go to, yes, it will be specific to certain... If you go to the local sure. bar... It is, does seem to be fairly widespread. If you go to the local Cheers bar, yeah, the guy's probably reluctant to raise your price of beer, but the rest of these places, these chain places, they don't care. <laughs> they don't know. Right, it. yeah. The, the, the fact that they can raise prices makes them happy as a clam. I mean, I mean, when, when you get the guy from Coca-Cola out there, how reluctant he is to raise prices, no, he's not. I mean, that's how you make money, right? I mean... Uh, well, it's the consumer yeah. discretionary versus the consumer staples, right? And so on, on the staples... Items, you know, the items that you, you really need. This, this, yeah. You know, it's hard to even find substitutes on those. Um, that's where I think you can feel the most inflation. And I think on the discretionary, there's going to be sales and, you know, to attract people. So if you're a smart shopper, you can probably do okay. But the general trend is that we've, we've moved up, you know, in price level to this new price level that we've all gotten used to, whether it's paying 15 bucks for a beer at your local bar or, or, um, you know, get you know, paying um, what, what do we see nine dollars for for um, some butter at the grocery yeah. store? All of a sudden, that becomes the new norm, and that's what's that's what's interesting is that 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 people just have to get used to that. It's just the you know they have to psychologically think here here's what we have to pay, and in the big picture is that what ends up happening is the inflation starts getting, people start forgetting that we're inflation, and they continue to get reminders. Well, but you get reminder, you, you certainly get a reminder if you don't have it. If you don't have it, you absolutely get a reminder. But but there's a, uh, it, or, you know, you, it's time to buy another product or another service or whatever, yeah. and you realize, that, oh, wait a minute, that was, you know, it's double what it was last year, because I haven't had to buy a new whatever in the last year. So, so there is, I do think that the inflation um, is, you can't be, you can't take it too lightly. I do think that when they talk about pivoting, really do not pay attention to that because that's let's get through the right the hype well, first. Well, some people think, I think that a pause at some point makes sense. I, I don't think a pivot does. Well, I, I, I mean, at some point, people feel that in, in nobody's lifetime are you going to get two and a half percent real interest plus the rate of inflation. People don't even think that they deserve that now. And obviously you do when you lend somebody money. <laughs> in my Absolutely. Although real rates have started ticking up, so we're, you know, we're moving in that direction. Well, I mean, we're, uh, Amazon, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see inflation not being three and four percent over the next ten years. And when you're giving them money for Ford, that means you're not getting anything back. Agree. Anyway, Dan, thank you very much. Talk to you next week, if not sooner. SP Futures now up 12, NASDAQ Futures up 40. Uh, be right back. Stocks and Jacks, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas. 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everyone. Face stocks and jocks. I'm Tom. I'm Andrew on the board. SP futures up 22, and Nasdaq futures up 81. Sort of as I suspected. The whole world thinks they just got the whole all clear, and maybe they have. Dow futures up 18, even though Salesforce is down. Uh, 1075 on, on earnings. They had some headwinds. However, Kroger just came out. They, uh, they're up, uh, let's see, a buck fifty, up to fifty sixty nine. As they came out and said, guess what? Their sales are up six point eight percent because they raised prices, and the they've been able to raise prices on the stuff that people have to buy. They're happy. I guess we should all be happy before for Kroger and that. We're in Europe. We've got uh, Dax up one thirty one point nine percent. FTSE up twelve point two percent. CAC around up twenty five point four. We're in Asia. Nikkei up 257.9. These guys are catching up where they were catching up. Shanghai up 14.4%. Hang Seng up again, 139.75. Uh, yesterday we had the huge rally. The Dow was down 250 and closed up 737. So let's call it a 1,000-point spin. That's, that's a lot, 2%. S&P up 122, 3%. NASDAQ was a big winner, up 44, up 4.4%. And uh, I'll talk about it after I'm done with this. Uh, bonds uh, down 12 basis points, 3.57. Interest rates... Everything's now we're actually going to go down. Instead of not go up as much, we're going to go down. We'll see if that happens. Bund uh, down 14 base points, 1.80. These guys are over 2% not that long ago. Japan unchanged, 0.25. Oil 
Uh, up 131 is the dollar's getting hammered here, as you might expect, but the interest rates are not going up as much as people thought. Well, up 131, 81.86. Brent up a dollar 20, 88.17. Natural gas up 24 cents, 7.17. Arbub up 2 cents, 2.40. Gold up again, up 41 dollars, 18.01 now. Silver up 65 cents, 22.44. Copper up 2 cents, 3.76. And we have Bitcoin up 119, 17,175. The rest of them are all down here. I might, uh, Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, all those guys are down pretty good. Even Bitcoin Cash, but Bitcoin itself is up. The U.S. dollar, like I said, uh, is a one and a half, one, almost 1.4% move against the pound. That's an, that's an amazing move. It's 1.22 uh, pounds now. The pound is up to, and the euro is up to 1.05. I mean, that's these are these are you know once in a decade type moves, and they're happening like every other week here. This is crazy. Andrew, what do you got for us, Travis? Weather Sports. All right, it is 7:36 here in Chicago on Thursday, December 1st. Uh, over in sports, last night in the NHL, the Blackhawks lost to the Oilers, ended the game five to four. And over in the NBA, the Bulls also lost against the Suns, ending their game 132 against 113. Now, uh, finally, for football, we can look forward to the Bills playing the Patriots tonight at 7.15. Now, for Chicago weather, it is cold and clear today, currently at about 18 degrees, but we're going to raise it up to about 37. And over in Phoenix, we're currently clear at 46 degrees with a high of 73. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, an earlier accident on the outbound Kennedy near North Avenue is causing some delays for about 30 minutes up there, so it could be a while. Uh, but otherwise, traffic in all the inbound expressways is heavy as it always is. But particularly particularly coming in from the north side today, expect some delays. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? Good morning, Tom. Hey, John, how are you? Good, you? Uh, uh, good, interesting interesting stuff. I'm not all that happy with the, what the Fed did yesterday, although I'm happy with what it does to my people's accounts. That, that part's good. Um... I don't think uh, I think we're we're d- just decoupling yet again between uh, what we want the market to do and what we want the top five percent to do and what the other people are doing. I just right, yeah, I, I think that's way I read it too. Well, I don't I don't see how that's ever going to change. To be honest with you, I don't see I don't, I don't see the middle class, lower class have any political clout. They do in you know, local elections. Nobody cares a crap about. Uh, but um, hey, what do you think it is? I was researching, talking about shifting gears on you because uh, you're good on this politics stuff. I was looking at uh, this guy, Hakeem Jeffries, who's the new uh, Democratic. He's not the speaker. Because minority of, leader, yeah. Yeah, the minority leader. And I was reading about his early early life in politics. And my God, this New York is, uh, uh, is, is <laughs> it's as bare knuckle as Chicago. The guy, he started out running for uh, a... Uh, a uh, State state seat, and the guy he ran against it was a debate where the guy walked off because he mentioned that the guy was Muslim and and he's, <laughs> I mean it was it was bare knuckle. Somebody got murdered, and and, and one and, and uh, says the uh, Jeffries close friend and political ally James Davis was a uh, uh, he was he was going to be a successor uh, to the guy, but then the guy got murdered or something. <laughs> I mean for God's sake. And then at one point, he, he loses to this guy twice, a guy named, uh, what the hell's his name? Sheldon, uh, no, uh, I'll get the guy, Green, this guy named Green, beat him twice for this this uh, state seat. And then all of a sudden, the guy gets kicked out of the state for doing some nasty stuff, 
for, for uh, stealing travel expenses, sort of like what happened in my district with that Terrence Smith guy. Then he runs and wins again after he got booted out. I mean, a Terrence Smith in my in my district got booted out by the state. How do you, how bad do you have to be to get booted out of the state legislature in Illinois? And the guy runs again the next time unopposed. I mean, and, and if you run again, then the, the people have spoken. They can't throw you out of the thing for the same thing twice. I mean, this, I mean, this the is people have spoken. Tom. The people have spoken. What, what have they said? What they, which end of the which end did they speak out of? For God's sake! <laughs> I mean, I, so now the, and the guy ended up deciding to run for for Congress, and it was a lot cleaner than. But the, his 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 fights in Brooklyn and Queens just to get in the state legislature or some. This is a tough dude. <laughs> I don't know anything else about him, but I'll tell you what, he, he hasn't had an easy road. <laughs> well, you, you take states like New York and New Jersey. Uh, Illinois too. I mean, the, there are many books yet to be written about the, the survivors of these political battles, really bloody battles in a lot of cases, and they they show their spirit. I guess I don't know, but they also show this who their friends are, who's going to back them up, and who's going to come up with money the next time, no matter what happens. So um, there's a certain resiliency in this political class, and I guess you know this sort of ordained that somebody like this would end up as. Re- Pelosi's replacement, albeit not in the Speaker's chair, but I, I suppose the Democrats, you know, feel they really need a fighter now more than ever, probably. Well, I tell you what, I, I I don't know the guy, and I don't, you know, I'm not even that much of a Democrat anymore. I'm in the middle, but I would say that I I would welcome something like this than a than, than a Geithner or somebody who every time he, he screwed up in school, his dad got him a you know a job with a senator or a, a, a Supreme Court guy for a job for the summer. I mean. I'd rather see somebody like this, at least. Oh, I I agree. There's enough of that political class to last us a long time. So, so what do you more of those? What do you make of? Uh, I I'm reading. I can't believe I'm reading so much into this thing yesterday, Jan. But I sure am. It it looks like a total capitulation to. We're, we're going to make sure these stocks go up, and we're going to keep, which is fine. But you know, again, I keep saying that like I don't want it to happen. I do. I just I just question the reasons for it. Now he's going to. They're going to cut back on the increase next month. And and all of a sudden, if you listen to Kevin the other day, he's gonna we're gonna be deep in a recession next year, which which we I think we already are already for most people. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're gonna not raise anything at all. And we're gonna have this constant, you know, three percent. But you know, it's, it's where we, I keep saying stuff that you've never seen anything like this. But I don't I don't mean the markets are that rational, John. I mean, look at a a move in Microsoft yesterday. I think it was up like you know ten bucks. So that's you know it's four or five percent, six percent. The difference in a company that's making, you know, that's of that size, and it, you know, you have, a, you have an income stream. I'm gonna go, go crazy here for a second. If you have an income stream over the next ten years, and you know, sometimes you can identify the income stream, sometimes you can't. But people speculate on what it is. Everybody has an estimate for what it is. So if you buy a building, it's the same thing. Okay, I'm gonna then, and you use some kind of a discount rate and say how much is it worth for me. I mean, a simple example is if somebody says. Hey, 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 chief! I got a billion a building for you. Well, what do they make? They make a hundred thousand a year. Um, all right, uh, every year, no matter what. They got rents, they got this and that, and there's there's money care in case you roof the whole bit. Basically, you can you can stuff a hundred grand a year in your pocket without even thinking. And I'm going to say, okay, if my interest rate is that I care about is ten percent, the place is worth a million bucks. You know, I, I'll almost if I had the million, I'd buy it sight unseen. If that if that's what I was business I was in. The interest rate's five percent. Well, that hundred thousand a year is now worth two million dollars, right? 
But so then it gets down to so when you talk about these kind of moves in the market and you say they're they're actually very rational. We basically had a, a Fed chief that two weeks ago and it basically came out and said we're going to be at five percent in three months or damn near. Now he's saying we might be at four or four and a quarter, and that's it. Which is which is my the message yesterday that to me was loud and clear to quite all the other BS he was talking about. And uh, well, hell, one one interest oh, full point on the income stream of more of Microsoft or Apple or any of these places is a huge change in the valuation of that stock. And when you see a, a rally like that yesterday, that's not irrational at all, John. It's very rational. It sounds well, like it's irrational, it's, but it's not. It's coupled to the news about this, uh, perhaps we have a settlement of the railroad strike morass. Um, that remains to be seen what happens in the Senate. But uh, the, the thing that bothers me about all this time is that it's one thing when there's really good economic news that comes out and the markets respond, you know, in a rational way, as you would expect them to, and the people are banking on. But but so much of what constitutes good news these days is we, we've temporarily averted disaster. And, you know, right. the railroad strike, for example. Um, and and it isn't a completely wrapped up deal yet, and it may not be before we're through. And the crypto mess is hanging fire. You know, nobody knows where that's going to end up. Uh, nobody seems to want to predict, and probably with good reason. So it isn't so much that there's, there's lots of good news for the market to rejoice in as yet another, you know, dumb dumb bullet we dodged. And we can't say for how long either, but that's enough good news to send the market. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, but I might, just to dig into the, to the railroad thing a little bit, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, there, there's essentially two bills going through. Now, the, the reason why this broke down, and I'm going to say the only place you've heard this stuff, to be, well, I won't say the only place, the only place I've heard it, is on this show. Because I have people that are in that industry, and they've told me that the, that the work rules there are impossible. And the guy who's the head of the Union Pacific has made it his job to basically wring people out of the system and screw with the employees. That's his deal. He's like Hacksaw for for people. They have no paid sick days. And, oh, by the way, you're 24-7. Can you name any industry you've ever heard like that, John? Ever? No. No. And, uh, so now, going through Congress is a bill to essentially force that deal on the unions. But they they essentially have heard what these people are bitching about, and uh, Pelosi's group, you know, I'm not saying she's the person behind it, has put through a companion bill that says, oh, by the way, they're also going to get seven paid, is it seven paid sick days, which is a little bit of a bone to the people that have a. It's still not anywhere near a a, a sit down and okay, what have you? How have you managed to c- cut forty percent of your workforce or thirty percent over the last ten years? while keeping people, working them harder and harder and harder and firing them if they don't show up. Well, there needs to be a, a serious... I mean, it's not like they've, they've lowered their rates, John. They just got rid of people. And, right. and, the, and, the, and, the, and the president gets paid more. So th- this is what's happening all over the place in this country, and, and that's going to be what the revolution all starts from. It's going to be individual. You start to see it against the Amazon, against everybody. Hey, hey idiot, I want a piece of this. I mean, you can't, I'm not going to be all the rice I can eat. So... Are the Republicans really going to block that bill? The seven sick days or six? Well, you know, they probably seen the writing on the wall, and, and they know that they will be absolutely, you know, dragged through the mill if they do. So I think that right now they're planning on blocking it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, 
I would love to see a rational discussion about all this stuff somewhere other than on this show, too. That would be nice, yeah. Because, you know, traditionally the railroads have had you know, a unique position in labor law and, you know, economics in this country, federal subsidy, whatever. You know, they, they, they're, they're a different animal, and maybe they have to be for the whole system to work. But, but the, the thing has gotten so tipped out of balance, and nobody, you know, it's like when you were saying, you know, earlier with Lou and with Dan about how do you get them back to normal again? What's going to change all this? How do you ever get kind of rational work rules if your goal is to strip your labor force to the absolute bare minimum, and you got everybody else telling you that's a good thing? And it's not just the railroads who are behind that idea now. Uh, I don't, I don't think you can have any kind of improvement here until some of this group think is thrown out and people t- start to take a hit for it and maybe have cr- criminal liability for cr- cruelty to their workers by imposing these kind of things. Well, we're talking... never have gotten this far. Yeah, we're, we're talking about... Institutionalized, we're right? talking about monopolies. Total monopolies. For those for those that don't know, again, uh, um, people, people can argue with me on just about every subject, John, and do. Um, a couple that you probably don't want to go there. Um, one is probably monetary history over the last 30 years and the other is railroads because I, it's, it's been a, a fascinating study of mine ever since my Pullman days and for most I'm going to say this will be a shocker even to you 20 to 25 percent of all the land in this country was given to railroad the western to five western railroads or four western railroads to build railroads that's a lot and, and the machinations in Washington and the state legislatures to make that happen would make your head spin. Yeah, well, I mean, when they wanted railroads, and right. we, we yeah, wanted yeah. They, they threw caution out the window, yeah. Well, I mean, you uh, to go back even further than that, the, the precedent was set. Um, everybody thinks, you know, Chicago's this great city. Of course, we have problems now, but it is it, a spectacular city. It's a center of transportation. It's the broad shoulders. The, the thing that put Chicago on the map, because at a time St. Louis was a much bigger city, the thing that put Chicago on the map was the INM Canal. Without any question. And people remember, what the hell's that? Well, there was a canal that, that linked the, the Lake Michigan with uh, the Illinois River in such a way where you could connect uh, the, east, the eastern part of the country through the Great Lakes, through the Illinois INM Canal, through the middle of the country in New Orleans. And that's what, and it, it almost was South Bend, John, because part of the the, the, there were some people who wanted to do that with the St. Joe River and not the, the Plains River. Right. Um, and to finance that, I mean, you look at New York, you look at Boston, you look at the way the streets are laid out, you say, well, that's kind of a hodgepodge. You look at London, it's a total disaster. Well, Chicago is this grid system, except for angled streets, Ogden Avenue, uh, Archer Avenue, uh, Broadway to a certain extent, Clark Street. Clark Street followed the, the lake. The rest of them were Indian trails in and out of town, basically. And uh, so what they did is they gave the people who were put in the canal, digging the canal, they gave them every other square mile. They essentially digged up Chicago, surveyed it on a grid system, and gave the people what every other square mile, when it was mostly just Indians living, not just Indians, I'm not degrading anybody, uh, and said, you can sell that property and use the money to build a canal. And that's, what they, that's, what, that's how they... So when you decided you were going to build... A railroad. You you went to the government and you had you got a uh, whatever a, a, an agreement. Charter. A Peter charter. Douglas and the Illinois Central. Yeah, they, and they would say you would be happy to have a monopoly. Yeah, but you're going to say you're going to get a mile, two miles in the Western Railroads. It might have been ten miles on each side of the road to sell. And of course, nobody wanted it. But at some point, 
I mean, everybody looks at, I don't, I don't even, who knows what the name of the place is anymore, but Burlington Industries was the mining side of what was the Burlington Northern Railroad. And all of a sudden, all that property had so much minerals on it, gold, tin, you name it, that they became a totally separate industry on just the land that the government gave the Burlington, what used to be the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy, to build the railroad. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, the uh, uh, I'm going off the mouth here, but the, the Permian Basin down in Texas, you know who's one of the biggest beneficiaries of that, uh, John? Who's that? There's, there's a, there's a, there's, there was a, was a railroad that never became a railroad. There was an outfit called the, the, the Fort Worth and Western or something. They were chartered, chartered's the term, to build a uh, railroad from Fort Worth west to, I think, to California. I mean, I think all the way. I'm not sure, because I mean, in Texas, the Southern Pacific was real, was far south, right? Yep. And then the the uh, Santa Fe is north. So there really was nothing from Dallas, other than connecting lines, uh, west. Because the, the, the Santa Fe is, what, Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, it angles down through Kansas and those areas into, and finally makes its way to L.A. And the Southern Pacific runs very south because it's an easy pass. Uh, when I say mountain pass, it runs through like Tucson and stuff. Doesn't even go through Phoenix. Yeah, El Paso. All yeah, well, real, real south. So the, they, they, they chartered this railroad. Jan, I think just from memory... They made they made it like maybe ten miles twenty miles out of Fort Worth and they said screw it, <laughs> but but they still had all the land and they never, they never got the land back from them, but nobody wanted it so you could have bought stock in this whatever this thing was, you owned like some amount of miles of land a strip basically going through, you know West Texas where nothing was there except a bunch of jackalopes and, and tumbleweeds, nobody wanted it, and all of a sudden that's where they strike they strike this Permian Basin oil. And so the the people who kept that those that stock from uh, got how many hundred years not hundred years ago maybe eighty years ago, all of a sudden they get all these royalties from the Permian Basin. I mean, how, how how bleeped up is that? Well, and the, the railroads had the kind of control that you know we would just kind of laugh at today. But um, there's a town in Marshall County downstate, Toluca, Illinois, just north of Peoria. Well, my grandparents, great-grandparents lived, and it was a boom town in the 1890s because they started mining coal there, and it was, you know, okay coal, it was plentiful. Um, Santa Fe ran through the area, and the Santa Fe said, let's have a town here, and we'll, you know, you have access to the coal, you know, they ship it right out of the you know, freight cars, you know, take it wherever we want, we want to, you know, have it, you know, milled or whatever. And, you know, this town existed, it had this, you know, became a town sort of overnight. There was nothing there before but it made sense for the railroads to have a town there. Well, they got a town. Well, Lockport is there because of right. uh, the, the, the canal, plus the railroad went right next to the canal, duh. Joliet is a total railroad town. Wouldn't be right. a road. I mean, it's, so, I mean, it's, I mean this, this stuff sort of happens, but so I'm saying is, is the, these guys have incredible, but right now you have Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy, the, 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 the uh, Burlington Northern now is a combination of Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy, the Northern... Great Northern and what the North Northern Pacific, and something else, some other little road. They were four railroads together. So you've got that railroad, you got the Union Pacific, Southern Pacific. So you got two railroads going west, basically, and you got two going east. And you had the Kansas City Southern in the middle, and and the IC, both of which were bought by Canadian National. So you essentially have one, two, three, four, five railroads. And how big is this country? Oh, and the, what the 
translated to Tom, and you can see it now in, in the, the mess we've got now. Um, you could, you know, afford to pay decent salaries to good workers who you wanted to keep, but you made their lives, you know, so unimportant outside of their work that you really paid a much more, you know, a serious price for taking that job than what you were getting paid, well, yeah. in, you know, in your salary. My grandfather was a switchman for the Grand Trunk here in Chicago. Um, and I'm sure, you know, financially it was an attractive job for him. He could b- build a house and raise a family. And, but he worked seven days a week. Yeah. And, th- th- you know, if he, if he took a vacation, well, yeah, you didn't get paid. You probably would be put on suspension for having done that. Uh, he worked seven days a week. He had decent hours. He could, you know, kind of control them, like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. But I just, I think any, I, I don't know of too many people who would have put up with that in any industry, in any white-collar job, six days, you know, a week was considered, you know, bad, but it was the norm until about the 1930s. All right, Andrew, what, what's a switchman? Well, they you know, they throw the switches at uh, in the yard yeah. at 51st and Central Park where all the freights kind of came into a bottleneck there, and the passenger service, too, before it went down. Well, you could also be, if you were on the southeast side or any place really in the city, Chicago was this massive manufacturing area, and everybody had rail. Right. So when if you had a car or two that you wanted to um, add to the train... Somebody'd run over with a little locomotive. You had a siding. And there was a siding, and you'd, you'd pull on there, and then the switchman would get out, right. and he'd undo the track so he could pull on the side thing. He'd hook the cars up, go back, move the track, and off he'd go. So you, you couldn't live without a, without, a, without a switchman. He's the guy who hooked. Then you took all these little cars. Well, they're all not little, but you took individual and, and small packets of cars to the main main spot, hooked the train up, and all you went. I mean, this is, this is a very simple problem. But you actually had to go deliver a railroad car to the to the factory or the the, the warehouse just like you would a truck. These are very times of heavy railroad traffic, too. Yeah. So the time very time sensitive job and dangerous too. Well, very dangerous. And and, and you know keeping these switches open in the winter, we know it's still a problem today. Yeah. You can see that every, if you take the metro or any, any passenger train, you'll see these fires all over the place. But but the, the, the railroads got used to being able to have that kind of control and go out and offer jobs to people, and people were. Hungry enough, and you know, if you're, if he worked through the depression, but he died during the depression. He got no benefits, no railroad retirement, yeah, no social security, no nothing. So you know, he, his family paid a huge price for his having that job. But the railroads aren't, aren't any better, you know, minded today when it comes to what they think they are owed. At least the they still don't. Class. The management class has gotten far worse. It's bigger. Yeah. And it's more. Well, oh, it's, it's it's totally monopolistic. Where in those days. You, there, there were all, there were competing railroads at least in the Midwest. Yeah, I, mean, if, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go to New York Central or you go to Pennsylvania, and people did. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there was man- no pun intended, but you could get a job in, in any railroad if you didn't like it here. You go someplace else. Yeah. So. Well, those guys they were huge drinkers on the job. Well, it was a, you know, imagine what a tough job that would be. To, this is this is before everything's computerized and electrified. Really, <laughs> the things things were really different, and you know, they, they should have gotten paid a lot, but. They didn't you know, get paid enough for what they had to put up with on top of that. No. And that's where we are today. Whatever salaries they're paying these workers, if they're on call 24-7 and you don't get sick days or whatever else, what the heck kind of a Well, job plus if you don't show up twice, if they call you at a party or something or you're away for the weekend, uh, they, they, I think it's three times and you get canned. Right. And they, they well. wouldn't have been able to push that through except they trimmed their, their workforce so seriously that they made this... They, they said they now have no choice. It's just their, their choice was to have more people and give them some kind of a life outside of their job. Their well, well John, as right. I mentioned yesterday, we only got a minute. If if that all translated into cheaper prices 
for for customers, then the prices that that savings would resonate through the rest of the economy and would create an increase in demand somewhere else, which should create jobs somewhere else. That's actually healthy. But if it just goes into the executive salary, I don't. Well, and that's I, the model yeah, that they've used. Yeah. Of course, that model is working just great, and it's not just in the railroads. But when when that's what you start to serve, and that becomes your reason for having a corporation at all. All right, last we got two side. Last question: Yesterday, are, are we clear for the whole year, or are people going to start smelling a rat? Oh, well, you and I have been smelling it for a lot longer than that. So, um, I think I I don't know. You know, the crypto stuff has got me really concerned because that's playing out in such a weird way with the FTX stuff that yeah. somehow doesn't you know, make sense to me. I don't care what this guy is alleged to do or really did do, but the fact he's still out, you know, talking to George Stephanopoulos and you know cultivating his image in the light of all this and the fact that it, it, the whole thing collapsed hours after the election makes me think there's something far more crooked going on than we want to Well, imagine manage. that, a man behind the curtain. <laughs> John, take care of yourself. SP 12, up 12, NASDAQ futures up 29. We were up more than that, but we're, we're still up strong after yesterday. Uh, back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.